Well, hey there, Jacob's Well Podcast. Thanks for checking us out. We are in week two of Incognito, where we are talking about what it means to come out of the shadows and stop hiding and walk into relational health. This week, we're going to see what lessons we can learn from Legos about healthy relationships. If you had to choose, which would you choose? To be completely and utterly alone or to be completely and totally known by everybody and everything. I mean, if you had to make that choice, and, and, and for, for many of us, it would be, most of us actually, it'd be one or the other. But, but the funny thing about it is we'd say something like, oh man, I couldn't imagine being alone. I couldn't imagine anybody wanting to be alone. But then other people would say, I cannot imagine everybody knowing my life, my private thoughts, and who I am. It just doesn't feel safe. And, and, and so this, this is kind of an illustration to talk about the nature of relationships. And the nature of relationships are that one size does not fit all. Let me just kind of illustrate it. Is there anybody here who just gets energy from people? You love to be with people, crowds, anybody fun? Yeah, and anybody who just finds, on the other hand, people tiring and just alone time, you can crawl into your seat. It's okay. Uh, just spend some alone time down there. Thanks for being here. We know it costs you something to show up. Uh, I get that. And that's the deal. And there are so many variables that make this thing of healthy relationships unique to the individual. There's, there's how I was raised and my temperament and my family of origin and my birth order and my experiences and all these things. It's my job, my career, and my skills schedule, relationships is complicated. And, and it's because of that, that that we have to approach a topic like this with a great deal of humility. Now last week, uh, Shu introduced uh, our message series in Incognito. He, he laid down this foundation of relationship. That relationship is not just one of God's good ideas. Relationship is rooted in the nature and character of who God is. That God, by his very essence, lives in eternal community, a love relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and, and that his main desire in creating the world was to extend that Trinitary community. And that in Christ, because of the cross, we have been welcomed into the community of God that we can call God Father, we can call Jesus Brother, the Spirit indwells us, we may know the Spirit. And, and, and because of that, that's just mind-blowing. And, and the thing we need to understand about this, this call to relationship is that it's not just a call to have that kind of relationship with God, but more complicated, it's a call to have a relationship with each other. And that's where the rubber hits the road, but that's also where it gets complicated because a lot of us are living in incognito. I love the, 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 uh, the definition uh, of a person having one's true identity concealed. And sometimes it's concealed because you're in an environment that's not safe. Sometimes it's concealed because you've been hurt in the past and you really don't know how to show who you are. Sometimes it's concealed just for all kinds of reasons, fear and doubt. But, 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 but when it's really tragic, and Shu talked about this last week, is when it happens at church, particularly a church like ours, we're a little bigger church, it becomes very easy to just roll in here and roll out here so that we don't really know anyone and no one really knows us. We're surrounded by people, but we're all also very lonely. And, 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 and when we live like that, the funny thing is, is that the more we have a need for relationship, the more we isolate, the more pressure and fear and difficulty comes, the more we don't reach out, we don't call, we even push away very often 
the love and the help and relationships that God brings into our life. All kinds of reasons we do that, all kinds of reasons we hide. I wonder, how do you hide? How do you hide from relationships? Do you hide by just the typical thing of, of isolating and not calling back and, and, and pushing me away? Maybe you hide in different ways that are a little more sneaky. Maybe for you, you hide um, through, through cynicism. You mock relationships and say, I don't need that uh, and, and I, I don't want that. Maybe you hide through escapism, gaming or fantasy or any kind of thing like that. Maybe you hide by, by taking offense. You say, what do you mean by that? A person who hides by taking offense is the person who gets mad right away. A person who punches you in the nose relationally because they're afraid they're going to get hurt, so they hurt before they get hurt. It's a form of hiding. It's a form of fear. Maybe for you, it's through performance. You say, how does performance hiding? Well, this is the person who is always doing everything for everybody else so that people will like them, but they never talk about who they are, what their needs, and what they feel, and they've actually confused about who they even are because they're trying to be what everybody else is. It's a form of hiding. It's a way of living incognito where your true identity is not known by anybody. Well, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's going to challenge us on the deepest level to live above that. And what we're going to see is that this is just not a good thing to do. This is central to what it means to be a follower of Christ. Let's take a look at this passage of Scripture. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. And, and this passage of Ephesians 4 is, is probably my favorite passage on the nature of the church. We're going to look at the first part this week, second part next week. But, but the thing about this passage is it talks to us about what it really means to be a Christian, what it means to actually live out your Christianity. It starts with a therefore. So it starts with therefore. And what basically that's saying is that the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is theological. And it's about the salvation we have in Christ. That Christ came and died for us, and through grace, by faith, we're saved. And we can have this vertical relation with God, been given to us by grace, a beautiful thing. And then he comes to us, therefore, because of that, built on this foundation of relationship, I'm going to tell you how you're supposed to live. I'm going to tell you what the implications of that are. I'm going to tell you how to live that out and how to make that real, and it's going to surprise you. He says, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord. So the apostle Paul is throwing down street cred there, right? He's saying, I am all in on this, gang. I am someone you live for. I'm in jail for Jesus. I have laid it all on the line, and I'm going to ask you to lay it on the line, and it's going to be interesting what he's going to ask him to lay on the line. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, you hear the passion there. You hear the compulsion here. It's, it's a, it's a compulsion, compulsion, it's energy. I urge you, look at this, to walk in a manner worthy. And so this is about how we're supposed to walk, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to do the things we're going to do. And I'm going to give you a little bit of spoiler alert. The way we're supposed to walk, the thing that he's going to emphasize is not by keeping religious rituals, is not by discussing a list of rules or moral oughts that we do or we don't do, and that's the worthy way we're supposed to live. It's not about, you know, uh, having great devotions. It's actually not even about your relationship with God, just you and God per se. It actually is about the way you live in relationships with people. It's about how you treat people. The worthy manner in which we are supposed to live all boils down 
to how we treat people. Let me show you this. He says, live worthy of the calling for which you have been called. And what I want you to see is that word calling and called. You are called to relationships. You see, relationships is an issue of stewardship. This last year, we talked a lot about stewardship. And usually people think stewardship, thinking money. This is not about money at all. In fact, what this is about is the most precious thing that you were entrusted with people, that, that when you understand that the relationships in your life are something that have been entrusted to you by God, you look at them differently. That the people you interact with, there aren't accidents. It's the people you're in family with, the people you work with, the people you interact with. Those relationships are something that God has put in your life. And when you see that you are called to steward them, to manage them in a certain way for God's purposes, for God's glory, it changes the way you look at relationships. If you, you, you start living and you start looking at all the relationships you have in your life and you're saying, these are something God has put in my life, and he's made me responsible for them. Then all of a sudden, you have a radical different perspective. Because the world looks at relationship and say, how can this person make me happy? Or how can I use them to get this thing done? Or how can I get them to acknowledge something about me or see something about me? And so the relationships are about using. God has a different perspective. Now watch what he says about the nature of these relationships. He says, in order to do these relationships well... You need a one, two, three punch. You need a, a, a trinity of perspective attitudes that individually are powerful, but when all three of them work together, holy cow. It absolutely changes everything. He says, these are the three things. He says, first of all, you need to start with all humility. Now, humility is central to healthy relationships. Humility is self-awareness. There's a lot of confusion about humility because a lot of people think what humility is is degrading myself. It's basically saying, it's a pretty girl saying, oh, I'm not pretty. Or a person who sings really well saying, I can't really sing that well. Or a person who does a good job saying, oh, it's just nothing. And, and, and humility is kind of degrading yourself. Well, here's the thing you need to understand about pride. Pride is obvious to see when it's this, I'm great, look at me, that kind of thing like that. But degrading yourself, pulling yourself down, making yourself nothing, marginalizing yourself, letting people take advantage of you because of that is actually another form of pride. Because even as pride is a focus on self, degrading yourself is still a focus on self. And so just tearing yourself down is not humility. You say, well, what is humility? What humility is, is just an honest assessment about the way things are. It's saying, okay, this is who God is. Wow. This is who I am. These are the things I'm good at. These are the things I'm not good at. These are the things I need to work on. These are the things I've really figured out well. And if I do some things well, it's okay to say, yeah, I do that well. It is awareness. It is honesty. It is coming to terms with yourself. Listen now, so you can forget about yourself. You can get over yourself, and you can start focusing on other things. You can start focusing on God. You can start focusing on other things, other people. You can start becoming interested less in what people are thinking about you, saying about you, doing for you, and you can start becoming interested in people. And when you start becoming interested in people, wow, life becomes an adventure. 
You start learning and growing and discovering. You discover some of the richest stuff, not when you have a bunch of experiences or a bunch of stuff, but when you have a bunch of people in your life who you get to know and you learn from and you grow from. This is humility. It is putting yourself in its proper perspective. It's at times recognizing that there are people who are good at things I'm not good at. There are people who have opinions that are different than I have, and sometimes I'm wrong. There are people who are called for a season to be out front, and I'm called to step back because this is what's needed right now. Humility sees the other person and sees that yourself in relationship to the other person. Because it says, so, so approach this calling of relationships, this worthy manner of walking in relationships with all humility. Look at this. And with all gentleness. What a wonderful word is gentleness. Now I just want to be honest with you. I ain't good at it. I ain't good at gentleness because here's the deal. I'm a fixer. Anybody else a fixer? Okay, someone comes, and I'm like, okay, what's the problem? Okay, what could you do? What are your options? Okay, do, 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 see. Next. Okay, what do you do this? All right, you do this. All right, right. Why are you, feel, why are you crying? Why, we haven't got time for crying, all right? And this is the kind of thing. I want to get in there. I want to mix it up. I'm busy. I have a hard time being present. Anybody else? So I'm with someone, thinking about the next person, thinking about the next thing. I can, I can, be, I can be wrapping something up at the next thing. And so one of the spiritual disciplines I work on is the discipline of being present. The understanding that who I am with right now, I am called to be with that person. So, so, so I'm going to look at that person. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to be here. I'm going to trust that anything I'm not getting to, God's got that. Okay? Because this is the thing that God has put before me right now. I think of my body language. Because sometimes if a person's there, I'm, I'm actually pointing at the next thing. And I pull myself up and say, nope, this is the place God has put me. He's called me to be. That's gentleness. You see, gentleness is the understanding that people are fragile. They break easy. And they're super precious. Imagine you had saved just a ton of money to get something you've longed to get. And it's a very detailed, intricate thing. And it's sent to you and it finally arrives and you're worried it got broke so you're inspecting the package and then you carefully open it up you take it out because you don't really know how it works and you put it up and you say my goodness and you, you get the instruction manual and you're looking at it and you're making sure because you've spent a lot of money it's important to you and you don't want to break it what if we treated people like that you see, for some of us this comes naturally some of you are wonderful at this you just come alongside people you lean into listening you make them feel felt the rest of us who are fixers, who treat people like a task, need to take a step back. What could I do to add gentleness to my vocabulary? Because when you mix humility and gentleness together, it starts to become powerful. But then you add this other thing of patience. Patience. You know what the word patience means? It means to suffer long. To stick with someone over the long term. And, and it's this attitude born of humility that their journey is their journey, and however long it takes to get through that, I'm going to help them walk through it. it. You know the opposite of patience is? is judgmentalism. Because very often, in my life anyway, the people I get impatient with is I'm judging them. I'm saying, listen, you shouldn't have this problem in the first place. 
and it's actually not that big of a problem, why don't you just do what I would do? Why don't you just think about it the way I would think about it? I've laid out a solution to you. Why don't you just deal with it? And so very often, very often, my, my reason I'm not patient is because I want people to think like me and act like me and handle like me and not feel about this the way they feel or feel about it in a way I would feel about it. And when we understand that patience requires us to take a step back and remove judgment, understanding that they're wired differently and they have different experiences and they're getting called to different things and God is interacting with them in ways that is different than me, well then all of a sudden patience, be born from humility with gentleness, becomes powerful in relationships. What these three allow us to do is bear with one another. This idea of bearing means that I'm going to carry things for you. I'm going to carry things with you. I'm, I'm not going to take away your responsibility. I'm not going to take it off your shoulders, but I'm going to support you in the struggle of life. He says, I want to bear with one another in the power in love. Now, one word I want to point out here, it's actually two words in English, one in Greek, is the word one another. Because two things. One, it's one of the more common words in the New Testament. It's surprising how often it shows up. And the other thing is it's particularly common whenever you have commands in the New Testament. So commands are, you ought to do this, you should live this way. At the center of what it means to live worthily, to walk in a manner that is worthily, therefore, because of his salvation, do this, is this word, one another. It shows up in the most wonderful, wonderful ways. Here's just a little list of things it says we are supposed to do for, with, and, and to one another. It says we're supposed to, and this is part of the list, we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to be devoted to one another. We're supposed to honor one another. We're supposed to live in harmony with one another. We're supposed to build one another up and be like-minded. Accept one another, admonish one another, care for one another, serve for one another, forgive one another, speak truth to one another, be kind to one another, have compassion. The word compassion means to suffer with one another, to speak scripture to one another, to submit to one another. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we are Americans, we don't like submission. We don't submit to anybody. We're in charge. But the Bible actually teaches that we're supposed to submit to one another. And what that means, again, is in humility with gentleness and patience, we recognize that, you know what? Right now, your opinion is more important than mine. You know what? Right now, your skill set is what's needed here. You know what? what, what, what what's, what's important is, is the experience and the pain and the, the joys that you are looking at. And so I'm going to submit my perspective, my attitude, my way of doing this. I'm going to let you drive the bus. You be in control. I'm going to make your solution the main solution. I'm going to do it with a good heart, with a full effort, as though it were mine, that submission. It's a beautiful thing. Submission is not weakness. You want to take a, talk about something that takes strength and character and integrity? Submission. This understanding that other people have as much to contribute as I have to contribute. And that I'm not the answer and I don't need to be in control all the time. And when you get this in a relationship, this mutual submission, it becomes this beautiful thing. It very often expresses itself wonderfully in marriage. There are times in our marriage there's stuff going on and I'm, I'm the quick-thinking, articulate fixer. And I sit down, I say, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, 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 we're on a deadline. And, and there are times when he goes, you know what that's called for? And he's right, and we're going to go at that, and I'm going to support him. There are other times where she is the thinker and the processor, and she says, we need to slow down here. We need to think about this. We've got to decide. No, we don't. 
If we decide tomorrow instead of today, it'll be all right, and we'll probably get a better decision because we're pretty emotional right now. She's that one. She's the one who slows us down. This has particularly been helpful with our children, who I have been trying to fix. <laughs> and I know so much, and I'm so right, and, and I know I'm right, and they do things, and they don't listen. Why do I they like that? And so I want to fix them. And Whitney will slow down. We're going to journey with them. We're going to let them make their mistakes. Just settle down. And I tell you what, she has saved their lives so many times over the years. (laughs) And there's this beautiful strength that brings in humility. See, humility is not out of step with reality. Sometimes we don't like humility because we say, humility teaches me to say I'm not good when I'm good. Humility is actually in touch with reality. It's, it believes things at the core of its being is that sometimes it's wrong and that two are better than one and there are different perspectives that I need. I need other people and I am just aware of that. I am, I am convinced of that. And so humility, when we're convinced of that, comes easy when we let other people emerge. That are there times there's a firm hand needed, times there's a gentle hand needing, sometimes this experience is what's called for, sometimes this experience, and that's submission. And so you say, submission's weakness. Well, then Jesus is weak because the Bible says that Jesus submitted to his parents Submitted to authorities, submitted to his Father in heaven, submitted to the cross. It's one of his great examples. He who is in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, even to death on a cross. You see, submission is gloriously strong. It is integrity. It takes a very strong person who knows who they are, knows who their God are, to do this thing of one another, and particularly submission well. He goes on that not only should we submit to each other, we should consider each other. We should look at the interests of each other. We should teach each other, comfort each other, encourage each other, exhort one another, stir up one another towards good things, show hospitality towards one another, use our gifts with one another. We're going to talk about that deeply next week. Confess our sins to one another, listen to another and one another, and pray for one another. And the list goes on and on and on. You see, here's the thing we need to understand. This thing of one another is Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How we treat other people, and particularly the relationships that God brings in our lives that we are called to shepherd, we are called to steward, we are called to make great. And when we put our focus on that, life begins to become very meaningful. It becomes very rich. It becomes uh, just something we could just make an absolutely beautiful thing. For Jesus, loving God and loving people are two sides of the same coin, by the way, right? Chu mentioned this verse last week. He said that verse when Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that vertical relation with God. He says, but the second is one we like to forget, but it's likened to the first. That is to say, it's the same thing as the first. It's the opposite side of the same coin. He says, love your neighbors yourself. He said in, in another place, he says, you need to learn to forgive people so that your father can forgive you. Because here's the deal, if you're in a relationship with someone who the Father loves and you're not forgiving them and you think that that broken relationship doesn't affect your relationship with the Father, you're just confused. Because loving people is loving God. And and, in another place, he said, here's the deal. He said, if you've got a person who's marginalized, a person who's actually hard to be in relationship with a person who's struggling, maybe they're in prison, maybe they're hungry, maybe they're sick, and you show up and you love them the way, he says, whenever you do it to the least one of these, the most frustrating one, the most difficult one, the most unnoticed one, the one who cannot pay you back. He said, when you do it to the least of these, he says, you do it to me. 
And so, however you treat a person, you're treating Jesus. So, if you're a boss and you're taking advantage of your employees, you're taking advantage of Jesus. If you're an employee and you're cheating time from the company and from the boss, you're, doing it, you're cheating Jesus. If you're, if you're in a marriage and you lie, you're lying to Christ. If, if you're a, 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 a judgmental, you're judgmental towards Christ. The attitude you carry towards people is the attitude you carry towards Christ. And when you understand that that's what Christ has established as the pattern, and you understand that this is what it means to be a Christian, this is what it means to, to, to walk worthily, and it doesn't matter how many prayer meetings you go to, how many services you go to, how many rituals you've been, it doesn't matter if you keep a lot of the moral laws about morality and different things like that, when you degrade another human being, you are far away from the heart of God, and this is where it comes back to what it truly means to be a follower of Christ. Look what he goes on to say. He says, be eager. One translation says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that Jesus came to bring peace, peace with us and God, peace with ourselves, and peace with each other. And he says, you need to make every effort. You need to work on this to get on the same page, to, to understand that, that, boy, the relationship is more important than winning. The relationship is more important than progress. The relationship is the thing. You will take two things into eternity that you touch with your physical hands. The word of God and people. Everything else is dust. Everything else is dust. It's temporary. You can't keep it. This is why this is what Christianity is. That's why the one another verses are so powerful. Like half the commands in the New Testament about how we're supposed to live had to do not with how we relate with God, but how we relate with each other. And so what it means to live and walk with God has to do everything with each other. He, he drives it home with this incredible insight. He says, now understand, there is one body. And in Christ, we are all one body. And, and, and some of us are feet, some are eyes, some are hands. We're going to talk about that next week. But we need each other. And humility, just basic common sense, should tell you, unless you're stunningly deluded and study, suddenly self-obsessed, should tell you that you're not enough. You need more than just yourself. You need others in your life. And all of us together, doing it well in unity is better than me trying to do it by myself. We are one body, look at this, and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. So all of us were called to the hope of the cross, and we all have the same hope, we all have the same mercy, the need for the same mercy. He says, he says that, that same hope that belongs to your call. He says this, he says, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Jesus is your Lord, he's my Lord. And so Jesus is in charge of you, Jesus is in charge of me. So because Jesus is in charge of me, you don't need to be in charge of me. And I don't need to be in charge of you. Okay? You're not the boss of me and I'm not the boss of you. Jesus is the boss. And, and when you get that, that's our changing everything. We have one faith. We believe in Christ and the cross. We've been baptized, as I said, we've been immersed into the same thing of Christianity. He goes on. We have one God and Father of all. So... God is your father in Christ. You have that love relationship. You've been invited into the Trinitarian community. So have I. And here are we standing next to each other. And how we treat each other affects that community. That is to say it affects our relationship with God. We cannot hate our brother and love God. We cannot be degrading and horrible towards people and think that God is just going to be okay with, with that. He says we have one God and father of all. Look at this. Who is over all. Okay, so God 
is over the person you're trying to control. Stop it. The person you're trying to fix, don't do that. Remember, sometimes what you got to do is just kind of give them to God. I talked to a lady between second services, and she said, what, what I did, I learned in a meeting I went to, is I have a God box. Whenever there's something I'm trying to control or can't control, I write it on a piece of paper, and I just physically put it in that box. It reminds me. She said, I got a lot of names, a lot of people in that box. Because I just can't control them. But God is, you know the other thing that God is over? God is over the judgment of those people. You see, you don't understand. They've hurt me. They've done this thing. I'm not going to let them get away with that. I'm not going to let them get away with that. Well, you just stepped into the role of God. Because God is the judge. The Bible is stunningly clear about this. Do not judge, lest you be judged. For by the same standard in which you judge others, you will be judged yourself. You want to set a high bar for others? You might want to make sure you can clear that bar. And so humility, you say, are they going to get away with it? God didn't let people get away with it. He deals with it justly and rightly. And that because he is over it, I don't need to do it. That's why I can forgive. That's why I can show mercy. That's why I can show compassion. Because God is over all. Look at this. And he works through all. That is to say, the same God that is working through me, through my thoughts, through my ideas, through my giftedness, works through you too. And when I understand that God is working through you, he may want to work through you in a way that one will teach me something but we'll get it done better. Again, this comes back to this thing of submission and humility to understand that, wow, humility just teaches me that, wow, God is working in you just like me, and so I don't need to be pushing in charge, taking control all the time. God is over all, through all, and he is in all. And so God is in my brothers and sisters in Christ. The way I treat them is the way that, 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 that I treat God. Some of us who are leaders in charge, very often what we'll do is we won't let other people emerge because we, we have fooled ourselves. It's, it's a horrible form of pride. It's the opposite immediately says, I've got to do it or no one's going to do it. You know, a ball will get dropped. They won't get it done as well as I would do. They won't do it the way. And so then, then we try to have someone do it. And unless they do it our way and our time, we, we just push them down. And then we fall back and we say, how come no one ever helps me around here? Because we make it impossible for people to emerge. But when we remember that there's God who's over all, through all, and in all, it radically changes everything. You know what it's like? It's like Legos. So, so Legos have been historically a big deal in our house. So from the time our kids were real young, I mean, right after the choking hazard, I think it's age four, three or four, we were in there. I just really wanted Legos. And so... Um, we started getting our kids Legos. And so for years, every year, our boys particularly um, would get like two giant packs of Legos. And we spent Christmas morning building ships and spacecrafts. And, and then just they all ended up in these giant bins. We would make all these crazy, crazy things. And the thing about Legos is there are a couple principles that we can learn from Legos about relationships. And this is one of the principles. The first principle is that when your Lego is full, it's full. So, so you only have a certain amount of capacity for relationships. And one of the things, this is what it means. We're going to have people taking the totally opposite next step this week, and both are going to be spirit-led. Okay? And I'll explain that in a minute. So, 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 so a Lego uh, it only has so many places you can hook up the Lego to. And, and some of you are so busy with relationships. You're trying to be everything for everybody that what you have to do is you have to keep removing Legos off to put other Legos on. And, and what ends up happening is that you're an inch deep and a mile, uh, 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 an inch deep and a mile wide. You have a lot of people in your life, but you don't really know them 
and they don't really know you, and you're not following through. And so your question is to take a step back and say, wow, do I need to cut back something? Now, the other principle about Legos is that we think Legos are like this. We think people are like this. They're all the same size. Maybe they're different colors, but you know, they're pretty much, this is actually Legos, right? Different sizes, different shape. There are, there are some that have a huge number you can connect to. Some you can only get two on there. And people are like that. People have different capacities. Some people get few deep relationships. Some people have jillions of relationships. But at the end of the day, Legos are unique. People are unique. You're unique. And one of the, 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 the true steps <coughs> of spiritual growth and just maturity in life is in humility learning about yourself, what you have the capacity for, what you don't have the capacity for. And, and when you understand who I am and how I relate, it helps you start letting your relationships get healthier. And Legos teach us about this. Some Legos are actually unique pieces um, that are, are all about... Um, just this little piece that's actually for this one box of Legos. And it's the crucial piece that's going to make this whole thing we're building come all together. It's a beautiful, awesome thing. And, 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 and we have had Christmas mornings where we're working on a big project. And we know there's one piece we need. And so we're digging through bins. We're just, you know, and we find this one obscure little piece. I found it. And it puts in and it makes it all click together. There are people like that out there. And relationships allow that all to come out in the most beautiful, wonderful way. So I want to challenge you this weekend. I want to challenge you with some next steps. Now, again, your next step may be the total opposite this week than someone else. Because there's not a one-size-fits-all. So for instance, you may be here today, and you may just have a jillion people in your life. You may have a jillion people in your life, and actually you need to cut back. And you need to say, you know what, I need to look at my 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 primary relationship ask, am I investing in them in the way that I'm supposed to be? Now, others, you may be saying, you know what, I don't, I don't have uh, a lot of people in my life. I'm isolated, you know, and maybe it's someone else's fault, your fault, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what you need to do is you need to take a step. You, you need to go to the men's conference. And you'll hear great teaching and, and the No Regrets Conference, and, and you'll connect with men. You need to go to the Women's Connect, because that's what it's all about. Uh, finding a place of connection for women and in and, 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 and relationships. You, you may need to engage in group life or in Jacob's Well Grow on Tuesday night. You may learn to serve because so many people have found profound relationships and friendships through this thing of serving. You need to not be incognito. You need to not be hidden in plain sight. And, and those are all steps. You might grab the devotion. And in the devotion, uh, and with the devotion, you could do a relationship audit. And so what's a relationship audit? You just list by order of just uh, priority and intensity, here are the relationships I have. Here's my family, friends, here's the people. And just ask yourself, how am I doing on, on being completely humble, gentle, patient, and my bearing with love? How would I rate the relationship right now? And does it require some attention? You might look in your heart, in your life, and you may ask yourself, you know, um, how am I doing just in how I'm treating with people? Right now, are people nothing but just an annoyance and a frustration? Well, if that's your heart, you're, you're light years away from the heart of God. That's what makes it so valuable that we're having communion this weekend. Um, let, let me say something about the way we're doing communion this week that's a little unique from some of the other times we do it. You can take communion vertically or horizontally. 
Now, what it means to take community vertically is that this is between me and God this morning. I just got to come to God, and God, I just need to remember your love for me. Maybe I need to accept your forgiveness, ask you to come into my life. Maybe I need to remember who I am. Maybe I got something that I've said and done, some sins, some moral values. I just need to confess those to you. I just don't want anything between me and you, God. I just want to come, and, and I'm going to take the bread, I'm going to take the cup, and that's going to remind me, and I'm going to refresh my relation with you. That's a vertical approach to communion. That is almost always the way we do communion, okay? But there's another way to do communion, and it's the horizontal way. And what that way is, is it's saying, okay, Jesus, if it's true that the way I treat others is how I treat you, how have I been treating people? What have I got going on in my heart in terms of how I've been thinking about the people in my life, the people I interact with, just people in general, and is that close to your heart? You see, the Bible warns, I don't know if you know this or not, about receiving community. It says, do not receive it in an unworthy manner. And sometimes we think what that means is, well, I've sinned this week, so I better say sorry, or else I'm going to get struck down or something like that, and not sure it's worth it for a little juice and bread. I'm just, you know, that kind of thing like that. And so we kind of get freaked out about that. But actually, if you go back and study that passage of Scripture that talks about the way we receive communion in an unworthy manner, it actually has a passage about how we're treating each other. It's in the book of Corinthians, and what was going on in the book of Corinthians was the Corinthians were treating each other terribly. There were jealousy, there was pride, there was infighting, there was nasty things they were doing behind their back, there was lawsuits, the rich were judging the poor, the poor were judging the rich, they were, they were inconsiderate, they were treating each other horribly, and then they'd come together for communion, and they'd do the little ritual, and, and what Paul said is that's an unworthy manner of taking it, it makes you sick when you do that, when you've got that kind of hypocrisy in your life. You see, the world doesn't care what religious rituals we do. They don't care if we've had a devotion. The watching world over there really doesn't care if we're following some personal moral rules in our own life. But they're really paying attention to how we treat each other and how we treat them and how we think about people and whether or not we have the heart of Christ on these issues. And so as we come to communion, I want to challenge you to receive communion in a horizontal way and just ask the Lord, is there someone over here I'm just angry with them? And I'm not sure what to do with that. I just need to tell you that, Jesus. I need to ask you to heal me. You know what? I haven't forgiven this person. You know? You say, I forgive them, but they hurt me again. Well, they may not be safe to have a relationship with, but you still forgive them. You say, you know, I've got this, this kind of person in my life, and I make fun of them. Maybe I ridiculed the poor or I ridiculed the rich. Maybe a person with different political persuasion. Maybe a person who struggles with something I don't struggle with. Maybe they struggle with transgender issues or, or issues of same-sex attraction. I'm just so freaked out by that that it's such an evil thing that I mock and I ridicule and I judge that harshly. And it's a struggle I've never had. But I've got some other struggles over here. Maybe greed and gossip and some other things that are on the same lists of things that, that, that are, are broken. And, and so, so I've got this thing in my heart where I, I find myself angry and full of judgment and full of wickedness and full of these things towards people. You can't have that towards people and be right towards God. It is to receive the, the, the remembrance, the communion in an unworthy manner. And so this week as we come to communion, I'm just going to ask you to ask the Spirit to speak to you. I think the Spirit has probably already spoken here this, this service to people. There's, there are people here who know a specific person they need to forgive or reach out to or, 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 or care for. Uh, there's a specific group, there's a specific attitude they just need to confess. And as you come to communion, you just, God, lift that up. It might be your husband, it might be your wife, it might be your kids, it might be your parents. 
might be your mom, dad, just all kinds of things. This is why we're all going to be taking different steps. And all of it will be just, Jesus, bring me healing in this. Jesus, in this person's life, Father, help me take the log out of my own eye first, for with the speck. Help me to walk the extra mile as you taught. Help me, Father, Lord Jesus, you know, uh, not to judge, lest I be judged. Help me, Lord Jesus, to be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with this person in love, that I might walk worthily of the calling you put in my life, that I might be more like your son. And so, as we have communion this weekend, there's that opportunity. Let me say a few things about communion. Here at Jacob's Well, we don't have a lot of rules about communion. We actually believe the miracle, the supernatural thing, happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. We believe um, that, um, that when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he forgives our sins. We become children of God. We are forgiven. And therefore, because of that, we are called to love each other in a radically different way that's stunningly different than the world teaches us to live and to act. That relationships become about love, not about something to be used. And so we take communion in that spirit. We believe the bread and the cup symbolize the body and blood of Christ. They're symbols. And so if you're here today, and maybe you don't even come to Jacob's Well regularly, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe Jesus really lived, he really died, he really rose from the dead, well, then we would invite you to come to communion um, and to receive that with us this weekend. Also, I want to know that all the elements are carefully prepared. They're all gluten-free, so everyone can participate um, in, in that way. Uh, I also want to let you know that if you're at a point where walking forward just be a difficult thing to do, there'll be ushers up and down the aisle, and they will bring the elements. Just raise your hand, catch one of their eyes, and they will bring it to you. And so as I pray and we prepare our hearts to, to let this healing time of communion come into our relationships, I'm going to call the ushers to come forward and to pray communion even as I lift us up in prayer. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. And we call you Father. That means we have a relationship with you. And that should blow our minds. That we have been welcomed into the Trinitarian community. And as we look at you, we're overwhelmed with this. And as we look around, we realize there are other brothers and sisters. Teach us to love one another. Teach us to be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another. Father God, as your spirit comes and speaks to each one of us, Free us from any kind of sexism or racism. Free us from any kind of judgmentalism that's harsh. Free us, Father, from looking at people whose sins and struggles are different than ours and we judge them, we tear them down. Free us, Father, from anything, jealousy, anger, and forgiveness of any specific person in our life. We just come to you and we ask you in humility to help us to see ourselves as we truly are Help us to see ourselves um, as you would make us and, and just set us free from the stuff that we just want to leave behind. Father, we don't want to invest in a bunch of shame here. We just want to confess and leave it with you, and we want to be healthier. Bring a deeper level of healing in our own lives, Father, than we could ever imagine as we take this communion. Thank you, Jesus, that you set the ultimate example of what it meant to be completely humble and gentle. You're patient. You bore with us in love. And um, because of that, we are included in your family. Help us share that same love. Help us to walk in that worthy manner, even as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.